It's HPR, All Things Considered, and I'm Dave Lawrence, concluding our latest off-the-road guest, guitar legend and epic storyteller, Joe Satriani. Hear part one from yesterday at hawaiipublicradio.org slash offtheroad. Satch has returned with The Elephants of Mars, his new album. We're listening to the title track right now. And today we continue with Joe sharing stories from the time he toured as a guitarist for Mick Jagger of the Rolling Stones. Now, what's the size of the venues that you were doing on your tour with Mick? Jesus. The Tokyo Dome, two shows sold out. Also, really large arenas that were, I don't know, 35,000. We did Australia, New Zealand. I think in Jakarta, that was 120,000. That was insane. There were riots at the end of that. That whole story... So we're playing that show in Indonesia. And at one point, Mick calls everyone backstage, like in the middle of the show. And he says, okay, don't freak out. He said, you see that smoke over there? And we look through the curtain on the outside of the stadium and there's black smoke everywhere. And he said, there's riots out there. The people are rioting because they can't afford the tickets and they're burning cars. And I think what they're going to do is they're going to have us escape somehow with like a false promise of an encore. And then they're going to open the doors to sort of alleviate the riot that's going on outside. And this is during the set he tells you this? Yeah, right. And so we go out, we try to finish the set. We come off the stage, pre-encore. The lights are on, so everybody thinks we're coming out. They're shooting fireworks. We run into these vans that have black tape on all the windows. And there's literally Jeeps with machine guns on them in front of us and behind us. And we're snuck out of the back while the fireworks are going on. We're only five minutes from the hotel. And we don't know what's going on because we're in these cars and it's black. Right, you can't see anything. Can't see anything. We're all freaking sweaty like you wouldn't believe because it's Jakarta. It's 100% humidity. So we get back to this hotel and we get invited to the rooftop. I just remember looking out towards the stadium and it's just black smoke and you hear sirens. There was a BBC reporter there and he was telling me that when we left, they opened the doors so that the rioters would go in and we would get free passage out. But what they did is they wound up attacking all the people on the inside. There were over a hundred cars that were burned on the outside. Mick was furious, of course. Yeah, where is he during all of that? Standing there like us, just like going like, what happened? And he's asking Bill Graham, what happened? Bill Graham was right there. Yeah, it, it was insane. Did you guys have guests and people who showed up? Yeah, when we were in Osaka, Tina Turner was finishing her massive tour. And she came on again, like Mick, when they start singing, your hair. Oh, I had hair back then. Just like, (laughs) I got to tell you, this is so funny. The thing that happened on stage is what I remember most. You're told to give space to the person that comes out. So she comes out. And of course, she's a million beams of light and people are freaking out and everything. And uh, she's a really great performer, very friendly. She does have a bodyguard that you notice off stage who's looking at you like a secret service agent like wow. don't think of touching her or anything or you'll, you'll you know your little red light will appear on your body or something like that so everybody was given mick and tina some space but the funny thing was is that she came right out in those high heels and she planted one of them right on mick's foot 
<laughs> and I remember uh, looking at Mick and Mick looked at me and he had this, you know, look of pain on his face. And they just stood there and singing, you know, <laughs> while we're playing. And I'm thinking, what's going on? You know, <laughs> did she do that by mistake? And she's just nervous because she just ran out on stage. I don't know what happened, but afterwards, that was the speculation. Like, did she do it on purpose? You know, you mentioned this other cat and he had such a big role uh, in a few of these stories of yours. And uh, Bill Graham had managed you for decades. And so uh, when I was thinking about exploring some of your connections, when you think of Bill Graham, the greatest concert promoter of all time, all the things you've gotten to do with him. Yeah, the first time I saw Bill Graham, I was with a drummer in my high school band, and we went to the Fillmore East in New York City. We were going to go see Albert King, Jay Giles, and the Allman Brothers, (laughs) one of the last shows at the Fillmore East. We're getting really close to the front door, and my friend stops me, and he goes, that's Bill Graham. Whatever you do, avoid having him see you directly. (laughs) And sure enough, Bill is there, like, chewing somebody out. Because they're doing something wrong that's not good for the fans. And, you know, it's just someone's hasn't cleaned a garbage pail or they haven't opened a door or whatever. You know, he was always hands on. Yeah. He was prowling the gigs, making sure everything was going smoothly. And so that was the first time I saw him was him yelling at someone. <laughs> so years later, I'm having dinner with Bill and uh, Mick Jagger. We were in Manhattan and I finally fessed up to Bill about that first time I saw him and then he was chewing somebody out. And I said, you know, it was the last show. And at the end of the show, people started to take souvenirs from the theater. And I was kind of laughing about it. And I said, you know, my friends and I, we, the seat was kind of torn up because the <laughs> film was kind of a tattered theater, you know? And I said, I still have a piece of the, the seat, you know? And he looked at me totally seriously. Like he was not happy to hear this story. And I was kind of shocked because I thought he'd laugh. But he didn't. He just looked at me and it was like, you, wait a minute, you're telling me you tore off a piece of the seat in my theater, you know, and you know how Bill with with his sound of his voice and everything. You're doing great. (laughs) Suddenly I was like a little kid again, like, sorry, Mr. Graham. (laughs) And of course, Mick is watching us laughing the whole time. He's watching the whole thing unfold and, so I thought, mm, next time I'll keep my mouth shut about that. <laughs> As a final question, meeting any of the guitarists that really, really shaped your sound? You know, it's sometimes you get lucky with that. For whatever reason, you, you have that moment with them. But then there are some people that, for whatever reason, you never quite figure out, like, why didn't that, like, click? <laughs> and I can tell you the story about me and Jeff Beck, and I, I love Jeff Beck, and he's just like, you know, one of the icons in in my world of guitar. So while we were doing the first Chicken Foot record, we were at Skywalker and we heard that Jeff was playing in Oakland. So we quickly finished a song, (laughs) went over to Oakland to see Jeff. And afterwards, we got to say hi to him and everything like that. And he was kind of tired maybe after the show and everything. You had never met him before. I never met him. And I didn't get a chance to really say much. But (laughs) a few months later, we wind up doing the same gig. So we're playing Boss Pop in Belgium. You know, festival. Outdoor thing you're doing. Outdoor kind of thing. It was really fun. So we're backstage 
And I'm with Tal Wilkenfeld, who's playing with Jeff and uh, Mike Anthony and Chad and Sam. And my son is there. And we're all just playing. We all just before going on stage, we would just whoever was around, if you could play something, we gave you an instrument and we would just sit there and play. So Jeff comes walking in the room and of course he sees his bass player playing and he looks right at me and I'm just, I'm ready to go like, Jeff, so good to see you again. And Sammy gives him a guitar and you have to understand that he's been watching like everyone takes a solo, everyone does something. It's all good natured. And Jeff gets the guitar and he just like goes nuts on his guitar. <laughs> I mean... I'd never even seen him do that on stage. He just like put everything into this performance. And there's really like only 12 of us in the room. I mean, it's not like there's press or a camera, but he just completely goes nuts. And then he just gets up and hands the guitar back to Sam. And Sam's kind of stunned because he's thinking we're going to have a conversation, you know, with our instruments. And then he walks out of the room. <laughs> we all looked at Tal and Tal was like, oh, that's Jeff, I guess, you know. And, and that was the last time I saw him. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So that was, you know, that was not like what I had envisioned, you know. What a great, you know, <laughs> I love stuff like that. It's like movies that just end on a dime and you don't, because you don't know exactly what, what happened. It's Joe Satriani and just sharing so many cool stories and really making me have to work to figure out what we're going to edit out and try to play on the radio. <laughs> you are really a... You were doing it. The Elephants of Mars, new record, and uh, thrilled that you would spend so much time talking about uh, the record and your life back on Off the Road. A thrill, man, really. I, I'm, I'm glad to have you back, and, and I do hope you had a lot of fun with us. Yes, as always. Thank you very much for having me. Be safe, my brother. Thanks again. Right. I really appreciate it. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you.